Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this week, I've gone back to the movie theaters, surprisingly. This weekend was actually the first time I have been in a movie theater since March of 2020. And that was when I saw the movie The Hunt, which came out in theaters on March 13th, although I saw it earlier on March 12th. But interestingly enough, I had no idea that The Hunt would be the last movie I saw in the theaters. I'd heard a lot about COVID-19, but I thought it would be the same as the H1N1 virus in the sense that, and it sounds bad now that I think about it, but we have never as a society had to have been quarantined in our lifetimes, but the H, excuse me, the coronavirus got worse and every place was shut down understandably, including movie theaters, but it was good to be back in theaters. And even though I've been uh, vaccinated fully, I've gotten uh, two shots from Pfizer. I still maintained uh, social distance from the other people in the theaters, and I would urge all of you out there to maintain your distance as well. But it was good to go back into a theater and see something on the big screen, turn my phone off, and dedicate my undivided attention to what was on the big screen. So, The very first movie that I saw on the big screen since The Hunt in March of 2020 is Cruella. Now, Cruella is in theaters right now nationwide. It is also accessible on Disney+. Plus. But if you want to access on Disney+, Plus, you have to pay $30. So it's up to you whether or not you want to pay $15 or $20 in the theaters or $30 watching it at home. Either way, it's up to you. But Cruella is based directly on the character Cruella DeVille, who is one of Disney's most well-known and probably well-liked villains. Cruella DeVille originated in Dottie Smith's 1956 novel The 101 Dalmatians, which was adapted into the animated film 101 Dalmatians, and... It was also remade into a live-action film in 1996 of the same name, and it featured Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille. And in this movie, Cruella DeVille is much younger, and it takes place in the 1960s and 1970s in London. And Cruella in this movie is played by Emma Stone, who is not British, but still... A lot of British people play Americans all the time, so it's not quite as common for Americans to play British people, but it does happen. But I do think that Emma Stone does a really good job here playing Cruella, and you get a lot of the backstory behind how Cruella DeVille came to be the delightful, albeit evil, socialite she ultimately became by the start of the 101 Dalmatians story. And she starts off in very humble beginnings where she is actually uh, born with poliosis, which turns half of her black hair white. 
and she develops a talent for fashion and a cruel streak from an early age, leading her mother, Catherine, to nickname her Cruella. And that is the big um, reveal of how she gets the name Cruella. Her real name is actually Estella, but due to Estella's rebellious nature, her mother pulls her daughter from private school and plans to move to London. On the way there, her mother stops at a party hosted by the wealthy Baroness von Hellman to ask for financial assistance. Baroness von Hellman is played very much like Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada by Emma Thompson. And I would say Miranda Priestly, I know, is based directly on um, Anna Wintour, who is still, um, despite her reputation being a bit tattered from The Devil Wears Prada, still a member of high society in New York. But I don't believe that... The character, the Baroness Von Hellman, is based on Anna Wintour, but she's very much like that. She's very wealthy and very influential in the London fashion department. But what happens is that the Baroness Von Hellman calls these ferocious Dalmatians to push Estella's mother off a cliff. So Estella witnesses this happening, and she becomes not only an orphan, but she also becomes homeless. And when she becomes homeless, she eventually befriends two other um, brothers who are also orphans, Jasper and Horace, who are played by Joel Fry and Paul Walter Hauser. Now, I know that Paul Walter Hauser is American, but Joel Fry is actually British. And for those of people who know the story of 101 Dalmatians, Jasper and Horace are Cruella DeVille's flunkies. They're the ones who are a little inept, but they're also the ones who Cruella DeVille recruits to kidnap the puppies from the family who owns them and uh, turn them into a coat. And I won't give too much of the plot away, but eventually Estella Von Hellman, a.k.a. Cruella DeVille, begins to avenge her mother's death uh, gradually, at first by becoming an assistant to Baroness Von Hellman, but also displaying a very admirable amount of talent for being a fashion designer. And I did like this part of the movie where Emma Stone becomes more evil, but also becomes more of a fashionista and develops her brand of fashion amidst the punk rock movement of the 1970s. And for a Disney film, this movie has a very good nostalgic soundtrack along with it. It it has songs that you wouldn't expect to hear in a Disney film, like, for instance, songs by The Clash. But it fits into the mood of the movie, and not to mention the period, very well. And I think that Emma Stone does a great job playing this rebellious fashion designer who, by staging these elaborate pranks on the more established Baroness von Hellman becomes 
almost overtakes her in her ambition as well as her inspiration. So I, I really did like the original story that went along with this. And while there are some parallels that can be drawn to maybe some other films like The Devil Wears Prada, for instance, I do commend the story for being as original as it is. Uh, the story is by Aline Brosh McKenna, Kelly Marcel, and Steve Zesis, with a screenplay by Tony McNamara and Dana Fox. But I felt like this movie for a Disney live action, maybe not remake, but spinoff, worked a lot well, a lot better as an original story than, say, the the movie Maleficent. Maleficent was, I thought, a bit disappointing, not because of Angelina Jolie's performance. I thought she was actually one of the best things about the movie Maleficent and the sequel that went along with it. The story, however, felt almost too similar to the 2007 movie Beowulf, which also happened to co-star Angelina Jolie as a monster, or at least the mother of the monster. And I really thought that Cruella not only had amazing visuals and a great soundtrack, but the story I thought really stood out. I did think that in terms of Cruella DeVille becoming a, a villain who becomes ultimately probably the villain that animal rights activists fear the most, I did feel like the movie pulled punches in terms of Cruella becoming more concerned with fashion than with animals. But maybe, just maybe, that kind of story development could fit a sequel. And I do think that this movie, Disney's Cruella, does deserve a sequel, where I don't think that Maleficent necessarily deserved one, even though it ultimately got one. And that sequel, by the way, was pretty forgettable. But I do think that Cruella has the has the potential to have a better sequel, or rather, uh, a sequel that complements the original that might come out in a few years. So Cruella gets my rating of a knockout. I really appreciated this movie's originality. I appreciated its boldness. I also really loved the the fashion behind it. And I'm not somebody who really likes fashion or follows fashion. And if you're watching me on camera as I'm doing this show, you can probably tell I'm not particularly fashionable at all. But I really loved the costume design for this movie, and I think it added to the story. And even though Oscar season is a long way off, I would be very surprised and perhaps even shocked if Cruella does not at least get nominated for Best Costume Design. It certainly deserves it. And Emma Stone might be, might be nominated for Best Actress, but even if she isn't, I think she adds an original touch and an original flavor to Cruella DeVille that I think the 101 Dalmatians franchise really needed. And overall, I enjoyed Cruella.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is A Quiet Place Part 2. This was a movie that is not only a sequel to the hit 2018 film A Quiet Place, but this movie was actually scheduled to be released in 2020. And interestingly enough, the film had its world premiere in New York on March 8th, 2020, but it experienced several postponements due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And it was finally released in theaters in the United States on May 28th, 2021, which was the Friday before Memorial Day in 2021. It will be available to stream on Paramount Plus 45 days after its theatrical debut. But for right now, it is only in theaters. And this movie follows the family uh, that we saw in the original movie, which consists of Emily Blunt as the matriarch, Evelyn Abbott, also her deaf older, the oldest daughter, Reagan, or Regan, I should say, who's played by Millicent Simmons in a, a performance that actually stands out more than her performance in the original, as well as her second oldest child, Marcus, who's played by Noah Jupe, and a baby. And the biggest problem with the, the, the bigger challenge that they have in this movie over the last one was that Evelyn... Emily Blunt's character was pregnant during most of the rest of the movie, but now the Abbott family has to be silent with these other presumably alien creatures taking over the earth and killing just about anybody and anything that makes sound. And for those, for those people out there who have had children, you know, it is very, very difficult to keep a newborn baby quiet. And, I should probably say that I hate to spoil this movie as well as the last movie. And Words on Film has a policy initiated by yours truly that there shouldn't be any spoilers. But it's very hard to spoil this movie without revealing what happened to John Krasinski's character, Lee Abbott, in at the end of the last film. I won't describe exactly what happened, but you could probably figure out sort of how his character met his demise based on the fact that he's only in the first part of this movie, which details the aliens taking over the planet, and he's not in the rest of the film. But John Krasinski does come back as a director, and I think that his returning as a director, as well as many of the other characters who are still alive in the second film, as well as some new characters played by Cillian Murphy and Jaiman Hunso, amongst others, add to A Quiet Police Part 2 being on par, I think, with the original. It isn't as scary or as much of a horror movie as the original, as much as it is suspenseful, but I think that's okay because in the original one, you didn't know to start off with why the family was being as quiet as it was. And you also didn't know what the alien creatures looked like. And if you've seen the original Quiet Place, first of all, if you haven't seen the original A Quiet Place, don't see the sequel until you've seen the original. 
But secondly, if, even if you have seen A Quiet Place, probably most especially if you've seen the original 2018 film, there really isn't very much of a horror element because you know what the characters, or at least the alien creatures, look like. And you know also what their weaknesses are. And that gives the humans who are still surviving on Earth a distinct advantage over where they were in the original. And I don't want to spoil too much of the movie, but I will say that the Abbott family finds a radio station that's actually playing music um, (laughs) spontaneously as they are being rescued by a neighbor of theirs uh, whose name is Emmett, who is played by uh, Cillian Murphy. And interestingly enough, Cillian Murphy, like Emily Blunt, plays an American, even though the two actors are British. But Cillian Murphy in this movie reminded me a lot of Andrew Lincoln in The Walking Dead, both his motivation as well as his disheveled appearance. And part of me wanted to see Andrew Lincoln in this role as opposed to Cillian Murphy, who's known for playing more eccentric characters like in movies like Breakfast on Pluto, as well as more slimy villainous characters like he did in the Dark Knight trilogy, but most especially where he played the character of the Scarecrow in Batman Begins. And he did reprise his role in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, but they were more like cameos than actual um, plot points or uh characters that moved the plot along as much, but that's not taking away from Cillian's Cillian Murphy's creepy performance in that film. But here, this is probably his first film as a hero of the movie, or at least a co-conspirator, a hero since the movies 28 days later and 28 weeks later, I've seen 28 days later. That's another unique horror film that almost, I think, revitalized the zombie genre. I haven't seen 28 Weeks Later, but that is on my never-ending bucket list of movies to see. My bucket list for movies to see is so long that if I actually committed myself to seeing all those films, I would have no life. But anyway, the daughter, Regan, who's played by Millicent Simmons, who actually is deaf in real life, uh, but despite that, she is still... Uh, She acts very well in this film, but she's the one who separates from her family and tries to find where this radio signal is coming from. And she is accompanied reluctantly by Cillian Murphy's character, Emmett. But as it turns out, the song that keeps playing on the radio station over and over again, Beyond the Sea by Bobby Darren, which is a great song, by the way, no matter how many times you hear it, she actually thinks that that is a clue to get humans to go to a certain place. But that's all I'm going to say about where what she ultimately finds when she reaches the radio signal. Beyond that, that's all I'm going to say about the plot. But I will say that this movie might not be as scary as the original A Quiet Place, and no one really expected that, but it still serves as a great suspense film. And I think a lot of the the scares that are taken away from the second one as a result or rather yeah, as a result of 
having seen the first one, are based largely on the fact that we already know what the aliens look like and we already know what they can do. But still, it presents a different challenge to the Abbott family as well as the other human beings who are lucky enough to stay alive. And it also presents a really good precursor to the original where it shows you exactly what the Abbott family as well as the people in their town were doing before the aliens took over. So I was very impressed and thrilled by A Quiet Place Part 2. I still thought the story was very original and very suspenseful. I thought that all the actors, especially Emily Blunt and Millicent Simmons acted very well in their roles and a quiet place. Part two was a long time coming. We probably would have seen it much earlier had it not been for COVID-19, but it gets my rating of a knockout. And actually I do think it is appropriate and commendable that the makers of this movie, particularly director John Krasinski insisted that the film be released in theaters. I think it worked very well, especially considering that Even though we didn't live in a world where we had to stay quiet or die, we lived in a world that was, I think, parallel to A Quiet Place because there was a a silent killer amongst us, if if you'll excuse me for sounding so blunt uh, about this. But we did have to quarantine for a little while. We did have to stay inside. All of us did. We didn't know exactly what the capabilities of this COVID-19 virus were. And we all took a lot of precautions that were later deemed unnecessary. Some were deemed necessary. Others like sanitizing our food with sanitation wipes. That wasn't necessary, but we did what we had to do. So I think for that reason, now that we're not completely done with the pandemic, but we're a lot better off now than we were a year ago, I think that A Quiet Place Part 2 is going to resonate with a lot more people, and it's probably best to see this movie in theaters. It's best to see any movie in theaters, but I was very impressed by A Quiet Place Part 2 in spite of everything. It was just overall a movie that complements the original very well, and I overall enjoyed it. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Even though movie theaters are open now, and if you've had, if you are fully vaccinated, it's still safe to go back to the movies, in my opinion, unless I hear otherwise from Dr. Fauci, I'm still not giving up on watching movies that are direct to streaming, especially on popular platforms like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and the list goes on. So the next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a Hulu original that debuted on the platform on May 28th, 2021. 
The movie is called Plan B. It is a comedy about a straight-laced high school student in South Dakota and her slacker best friend who, after a regrettable first sexual encounter, have 24 hours to hunt down a Plan B pill in America's heartland. This movie uh, is very similar, I think, in tone to the movie Booksmart, which came out a little while ago. It's about two girls in high school who are best friends who go on a road trip to sort of find themselves. Booksmart isn't exactly a road trip movie. It's more like a high school party movie. But there are high school parties in the, the movie Plan B. And Plan B is directed by actress Natalie Morales, who has been in such movies and TV shows as Battle of the Sexes, starring Emma Stone and Steve Carell. She, was, she also had a recurring role in the Lena Dunham show Girls, as well as uh, Parks and Recreation. But this is the second movie she's ever directed. She's previously directed a number of short films, as well as some episodes of TV shows like Mr. Student Body President or Room 104. The movie she directed before Plan B is called Language Lessons, or at least it's listed as before Plan B on IMDb. But I don't know if this film has come out yet. It's a movie that stars... Mark Duplass and uh, Natalie Morales playing a supporting role. But since I'm not sure whether or not that movie's come out, I will call Plan B Natalie Morales' directorial debut, or at least tentatively. But this is a high school comedy movie starring Kuhu Verma as the protagonist of the film, Sonny. And her best friend is Lupe, who's played by Victoria Morales whose last name sounds similar to Natalie Morales, but you could probably tell when I uh, described that to you that it's <laughs> that they're probably not related. But Sonny, um, who's played by Kuhu Verma, is one of the only Indian uh, people in her not uh, small town. It's actually one of the bigger cities in South Dakota. And I've temporarily forgot the name of the city. I will look that up in a second. But she has the typical teenager problems. She's a very smart girl and a star student in her class, but she's not particularly popular. And she also pines after one of the more popular guys in her class, whose name is Hunter, who's played by Michael Provost. But she also... In a in a moment where she's at a um a a party at well a, a high school student's house and I'm not going to reveal who that is she becomes heartbroken when she sees Hunter go home with a more popular girl presuming or I should say assuming that the two of them are going to go home and hook up so in a moment of heartbreak and rage she has a sexual encounter with a friend of hers, or maybe an acquaintance of hers, named Kyle, who's played by Mason Cook. And the two of them have sex in the bathroom. And even though the guy is wearing a condom, the sexual encounter is very brief and very awkward. And she, at, at first, Sonny is not 
concerned about getting pregnant because after all the guy used a condom until she goes to the bathroom and as she is relieving herself, she finds the same condom in the toilet. And I'm not going to reveal how that condom got in the toilet, but you could probably figure out for yourself how it ended up there. So she is deadly afraid of getting pregnant. And as a result, she and her friend Lupe go on a road trip using her mother's van without asking her permission. And the, the two of them try to go over, go into some remote parts of North, excuse me, South Dakota to get a, a pill that's called the morning after pill, which basically women take to prevent themselves from getting in, getting pregnant, uh, particularly immediately after conception. And the time crunch is there because they have about 48 hours to get the pill so that Sonny does not get pregnant. So the teenagers are in one of the bigger cities in uh, South Dakota. And I'm going to look up actually... I'm, I'm sorry to have to do this live on the air. And this is probably one of those uh, um, things I have to do uh, before uh, I have to just look this up and then cut out my stammering. Uh, they live in Rapid City, South Dakota. And Rapid City is the second largest city in South Dakota with an estimated uh, 2019 population of... 77,000 people. So the largest city in South Dakota is Sioux Falls, which is population of about 184,000. So this pales in comparison to bigger cities like New York or Chicago, but for the Pacific Northwest, it's a pretty big city. Plus there aren't a lot of places in either of the Dakotas where you'll find a lot of people of Latina or of Indian, and by Indian I mean people from India, descent. Um, although there, there are more Indian people these days who are taking jobs as doctors, lawyers, real estate agents in more remote part of the countries, uh, remote parts of the country where a lot of other demographics, especially white people, don't particularly want to go to get a career. So it's it seems pretty consistent that there would be at least a few Indian people in a city like Rapid City, South Dakota. And it's it's probably one of the more diverse places. But the the movie follows these two friends as they go on this journey that sometimes is very dangerous and fortunately is void of a lot of forced and contrived slapstick. Sometimes they have to deal with obnoxious classmates. Other times they have to deal with some rednecks who live in more remote parts of South Dakota as they're trying desperately to get this um, morning after pill. And one time they actually have to resort to a drug dealer who does business with them in an abandoned playground. There is a rather disgusting part where Sonny goes to some desperate lengths to get this morning after pill. 
And it's it's probably one of the gross out moments that didn't particularly need to be there. But I did think that Kuhu Verma and Victoria Morales worked very well alongside each other. They made me believe that they had been friends since they were kids. And their teenage issues are somewhat familiar, but they are very real, I think. I mean, there's a lot on their plate in terms of them being high schoolers who are not particularly popular, but also have a plan for after high school. It probably are some of those high school students who cannot wait to get into college and considering where they live, they probably have a good chance of getting into an an Ivy league college, but more to the point, I think plan B is a good comedy drama starring these two young women. I think it taps into a lot of realistic issues that uh, teenagers, particularly those that live in less populated States like South Dakota face on in, in certain times and the supporting cast, including some who make very brief cameos. Like for instance, uh, the only really recognizable actor I remember is Jay Chandran Sekhar, who plays a pharmacist who knows Sonny particularly well because of something called the Indian mafia, which is where if you, if you are an Indian person, you see another Indian person where you're going, chances are a, they'll know who you are and B they'll tell your mother where they saw you. It's kind of funny, but Che Chandra Sekar is one of the, actually the only member of color of the comedy sextet broken lizard. And he was most prominently, or he came to fame as a result of starring in and co-directing Super Troopers. And in Super Troopers, it was kind of unknown what his race was. Some people thought he was black. Some people thought he was Mexican. And there was kind of a running gag in there. But he is Indian in real life, or Indian American. And in this movie, he's undoubtedly Indian. But this is a, a refreshing movie. It might not be laugh out loud. And there might have been some parts that were put in for uh, forced comedic effect. But I think overall it went well. And I, as I said, I loved the two lead actresses in the movie, Kuhu Verma and Victoria Morales. And I do think they have a potentially bright future in movies, which is why Plan B gets my rating of a checkout. I think when it worked, it, I, I think it worked best when it actually embraced some of the awkward and also some of the enlightening moments in high school that I think virtually everyone faces. It didn't work particularly well when there was some forced slapstick or some gross-out humor, and I think that the movie could have done without that. But overall, I did enjoy it for the performances and for the poignancy of going back to the painful days when I was a high school student alone.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a Netflix original film that debuted on the platform on May 27th, 2021, and it's called Blue Miracle, and it is based on a true story about a guardian whose name is Omar, and Omar, known to his orphan children as Father Omar, is played by Jimmy Gonzalez, and even though he's called Father Omar, he's not a priest. He's actually married to a woman by the name of Becca, who's played in this movie by a lovely actress named Fernanda Oreola. And the two of them run essentially an orphanage. And it's in Mexico, but despite it being in Mexico, most of the characters in the movie speak English throughout a majority of the film. But to save their cast-strapped orphanage, a guardian and some of his kids, who are up for adoption partner with a washed-up boat captain whose name is, um, oh, I I don't have the information. Oh, excuse me. Here it is. Ah, gosh, my my sources sometimes. This washed-up boat captain is named Wade, and he's played by Dennis Quaid, and they partner up for a chance to win a lucrative fishing competition. And what the fishing competition is is basically boats that go out to the Gulf of Mexico, and for three days, they seek to catch a large fish, particularly a fish that's as exotic as a marlin or a swordfish. And whatever boat catches the biggest fish in that three-day period wins. And Dennis Quaid's character, Wade, is from San Antonio, Texas, and he has participated in this competition before, even winning twice. And this orphanage has fallen under hard times, not only because it was cash-strapped to begin with, but also because a hurricane came in and flooded a, a significant part of the orphanage. So Omar is on a mission to save his orphanage and also provide better accommodations for his uh, orphan boys. Yeah. And, and all the kids in the orphanage are boys. Eventually you learn more about this orphanage as well as how it's made money uh, before, uh, winning this competition. But it's a good movie that I think highlights the acting talents of Jimmy Gonzalez, who I gotta be honest, I had not seen before, but he makes a good charismatic lead. And his character, Omar is based on a real person. The real person is not nearly as good looking as Jimmy Gonzalez is, but that's Hollywood for you. But Jimmy Gonzalez has been in such movies recently as Godzilla King of the Monsters, which came out in 2019. He played Commander Crane. He also has been in an FX series, which I haven't seen, called Mayans MC. And he also played a police officer in Happy Death Day to You. I was going to say he's been in 67 movies. That's not true. He's he's had 67 acting credits to his name. And he's also set to be in another movie that's being released this year. And I'm rolling my eyes when I say this, but it's another Conjuring movie. This one is called The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Because I am probably going to die an old man in my bed 
surrounded by my loved ones and I will look up at them and I will still wonder why they're making Conjuring movies still. But this, I believe, is the first movie in which Jimmy Gonzalez had the lead role. And he does very well as a guy who you're rooting for because he has all the right intentions. And he also is saving, or rather, he's reaching out to another um, kid who is a, a teenager, but he doesn't have any parents, and he's resorting to juvenile delinquency. His name is Geiko, and he's played by Anthony Gonzalez. Any relation? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know for sure. But I liked how the movie begins to work with, or rather shows Wade working with Omar and some of his orphan children to catch this big fish. And there are a lot of setbacks along the way, including one particular revelation from Dennis Quaid's character that calls into question his credibility as a fisherman. But this is one of those feel-good movies where you're rooting for the characters in the film, particularly the people who are running this orphanage. They're doing so, so selflessly and they want this big cash prize so they can save the orphanage, which I think is a very noble pursuit. I think because of that noble pursuit, the movie is a tad bit on the predictable side, which makes it good, but not great. I think the acting is very good and I can feel Dennis Quaid on his way to a comeback. He still looks very good for his age um, right now. I mean, he's 67 years old as of the date of this show. He still looks really good. He's been in a bit of a career um, stall, or rather a a career lump uh, right now, where he's not producing the high-quality A-list films that he did before. But I think he's good in this movie, and surprisingly, despite looking very good for his age, he does play a very good grumpy old man. Maybe not the same kind of grumpy old man as Nick Nolte usually plays nowadays, but he certainly is very believable, and I have the feeling that he's going to make a comeback sometime soon. And I'd love to see Jimmy Gonzalez in a lead role. I think he has a very good charismatic quality to him that will serve him well in films of just about any other genre, but particularly action movies. But blue miracles predictability leads me to give blue miracle a, a high, but still a checkout because it is a feel good movie. It is kind of predictable, particularly when the setback in this film happens. And I won't tell you what the setback is, but It does have that inspiring quality that makes it worth watching for me. And the acting, and particularly some funny scenes with some of the orphans who accompany Omar and Wade on their boat journey, are very good. And plus, the part where they actually try to catch the fish is very thrilling in and of itself. So for that reason, I do give Blue Miracle a marginal, but still a good recommendation.
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for the show, it's now time for me to get into movies that are coming out in theaters nationwide, or at least subject to be released in theaters nationwide. And I want to give a disclaimer uh, before you decide to go out to the movies. If you're going out to the movies or going out anywhere, please stay safe. Check out the World Health Organization's guidance on the use of masks to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And that includes if you're like me and you've gotten two doses of the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. But because movie theaters are open and because I feel safe going to them now, I'm going to reveal to you what movies are going to be released in theaters. One of the movies is going to be released in theaters was the one I was just lamenting about having been made because of the fact that Jimmy Gonzalez from the movie I just reviewed, Blue Miracle, is co-starring in this one. And it's not because Jimmy Gonzalez is, is co-starring in it. It's because it's another damn Conjuring movie. This one is called The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And I, I'm guessing that the devil made, the people who made The Conjuring make another damn Conjuring movie. This is literally the ninth Conjuring movie. There were three Conjuring films. There was Annabelle. There was Annabelle Creation. There was Annabelle, uh, another movie. There was one about the nun. There was one, uh, The Curse of La Llorona. And they are all really tired and predictable movies. And I actually feel kind of bad giving A Quiet Place, part two, my rating of a knockout. Because what Hollywood does is they take what is a scary movie, and they make sequel after sequel after sequel. And even if the whole collective movie-going community, which basically is everyone who goes to the movies, just shouted at Hollywood, enough already, stop making these films, they will still make them. But anyway, one advantage that The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It has is it has Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga reprising their roles as paranormal investigators, the Warrens. And this time, they are investigating a murder that, you guessed it, may be linked to a demonic possession. So I'm not seeing this movie. And for two reasons. Number one, I've seen a lot of the... Con In fact, I've seen all of the Conjuring spinoffs. But I actually have not seen the original Conjuring. But I'm so tired of these Conjuring sequels and spinoffs, I just wish they would stop. And people are already complaining, and justifiably so, about Hollywood these days leaning too far on remakes, on sequels, on movies based on books, and there aren't many original ideas anymore. I don't think there are no original ideas in Hollywood. I think there are a lot of independent filmmakers who are making original movies that are not getting the attention at multiplexes that they deserve. I do think, though, that the, the thing with remakes and sequels is valid. In fact, I hear they're making a franchise reboot of Home Alone. I, I, I Stop! Just stop doing it! You're making me mumble! But anyway, the next movie that's going to be appearing in theaters on June 4th, 2021, is, yes, it's a sequel. This is a sequel to the movie Spirit. It's an animated film, and it is called Spirit Untamed. 
it's being released by DreamWorks Animation, who released the original Spirit movie in 2003, which featured the voice of Matt Damon. And Matt Damon is not reprising his role in this film. It does tell you about the life of Lucky Prescott, whose life has changed forever when she moves from her home in the city to a small frontier town and befriends a wild Mustang named Spirit. The voice of Lucky Prescott is a delightful and talented young actress named Isabella Merced, and she used to be known as Isabella Monaire, but she changed her stage name in honor of her grandmother, which I think is really nice. That might confuse some people, though, who've seen her in such movies as Sicario, Day of the Soldado, or Dora and the Lost City of Gold. These are the movies in which she appeared where she was known as Isabella Monaire, as well as a very good supporting performance in the movie Instant Family, which came out in 2018 and was much better a movie than I expected it to be. But she's the lead voice in this role. This is a movie I will see. I will have to catch up on the movie Spirit because I haven't seen that movie in a very long time. But Spirit Untamed is a movie I will see, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that's going to be appearing in theaters or is subject to appear in theaters on June 4th is a movie that's called Samaritan. And this is a movie about a young boy who learns that a superhero who is thought to have gone missing after an epic battle 20 years ago may in fact still be around. This looks interesting, particularly when you consider that the Samaritan or the superhero who is, uh, who is thought to have gone missing is played in this movie by Sylvester Stallone. I don't know if this movie is coming to my local multiplex, but if it doesn't, I at least hope it's coming to my local independent theater because this movie looks interesting. I'm not going to say whether it's good or not, but I'm interested to see it. It sounds like a borrowed concept, but one that might have some originality. And I, if I see it in theaters or if I see it on the marquee, I will see it and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. So now that I've gone through some of the movies that are going to be released in theaters, let me get into movies that are subject to be released on streaming for the week of May 31st through June 4th, 2021. There is a special that's premiering on Tuesday, June 1st. It's a Netflix original, but it's a special, not a movie. But it's called Super Monsters Once Upon a Rhyme. I probably won't be seeing that. On Wednesday, June 2nd, there's actually a film premiere, but it's not a Netflix original. It's called Carnival, uh, C-A-R-N-A-V-A-L, which leads me to believe that it is foreign, not domestic. But Carnival is a movie that looks to take place in Brazil, and it's about an influencer who, after a breakup, takes her friends on a free trip to Bahia's vibrant Carnival, or Carnival, where she learns life's not just about social media likes. I don't think an American movie like that has been made. And actually, I told you it wasn't a Netflix original. I take that back. According to one website that I'm looking at, it is a Netflix original. But the other website says it's a film premiere, but doesn't call it a Netflix original. I'll call it a Netflix original, and I will try to see this movie if I can. It sounds like a great concept. So moving on, there is a movie that is 
premiering on Thursday, June 3rd. It is a Netflix original and it is called Dancing Queens. Is it about ABBA? Well, I'm about to tell you. Uh, it, it could be about a lot of things, but it is a foreign film. It looks like it is a Swedish film, which is appropriate considering that the song Dancing Queen is made by or was sung by the Swedish group ABBA. But Dancing Queens tells the story about Dylan Peterson, who is a 23-year-old girl from a small island in the Swedish archipelago with big dancing aspirations. So it sounds like a, a standard small fish in a big pond type movie, but it also looks intriguing, at least from the poster. And I'll give this movie a chance. If I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. And there is another film premiere. This is one that's kind of interesting because it's called Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon External, the movie, parts one and two. And apparently parts one and two are both premiering on Netflix on Thursday, June 3rd. I don't know why they're releasing part one and two at the same time. My presumption is is that this is an animated film because Sailor Moon is a very popular anime series, has been for about 30 years, and there are still some kids who are into that manga or anime series. So will I see that film? I wouldn't go out of my way to see it because Sailor Moon's not exactly my thing, and my guess is, especially since it has such a specific title, beyond Sailor Moon, and also because it's in two parts that it wasn't made for me, or at least I assume that. But in any event, that is probably going to be a film I will skip. But on Friday, June 4th, there are four films that are going to be premiering, and I won't have time to talk about all of them, but I'll tell you about one that is probably an American film. This one is called Sweet Tooth. And it stars nobody I know, but it is about a boy who is half human and half deer who struggles to survive in a post-apocalyptic world with other hybrids. This sounds particularly interesting. I'm not going to say if it's going to be good or not, but I will say that, oh, it's actually not an original film. It's a limited series, but it looks to be a very interesting limited series and limited series are actually fair game in my book. If I have time to watch all the episodes and I don't always have time, but I will say that it sounds like a very original concept. Sweet tooth does. And I will let, let you know what I think if I get through all the episodes, the other movie I should mention is Breaking Boundaries, The Science of Our Planet. This is a documentary, which actually I don't have time to reveal the plot of. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.